Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. This is a bit of an awkward text, really. There are lots of questions that I think we can ask about it, like, why is the bridegroom late to begin with? And of course, why won't the first five just share with the second five? That would seem like the Christian thing to do, wouldn't it? And why is it that all ten of them fell asleep exactly when they were told to stay awake? There's a lot about this text that really doesn't make sense. But if we're willing to set aside those reasonable questions for just a moment, there are some important messages that pop out. Like be prepared, and be present, and be persistent. I can't help but think of the Boy Scout motto. I was never a Boy Scout, but I know the wisdom of those words, be prepared. In our text, they refer to having your oil and lamp at hand, anticipating the bridegroom's arrival. The story points to the contrast between these two sets of bridesmaids, those who were prepared and those who weren't. When the late arrivals reached the party, they were turned away, those who weren't ready and prepared. Lord, Lord, open to us, they called out, but they were treated like strangers. Truly, I tell you, I do not know you. Now, this exchange parallels Jesus' words at the end of the Sermon on the Mount earlier in Matthew's Gospel. There, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of God. Like the bridesmaids in this story, Jesus would say to them, I never knew you. The connection between these two passages points to to two important things. First, the parable of the wise and foolish bridesmaids is not directed to outsiders, but to insiders. All of these were those who said, you are my Lord. The second is that what it means to be prepared is revealed when the bridegroom appears. And it's not believing the right thing. It's not professing Lord. It's doing the right thing. And there were bridesmaids who failed to do the right thing. They weren't ready. They weren't prepared. Which, might, which we might interpret as seeking to love our neighbor as ourselves, or seizing the day, or in our text from Amos the prophet, seeking justice and righteousness. I'll say more about that in just a moment. We're also called by this text to be present. We have to show up. In the story, the foolish bridemaids were the ones who had run off to get oil just at the important moment that the bridegroom was about to arrive. They weren't present and available when they needed to be. So much of our spiritual practice is about being present. Our prayers, our contemplative sits, our sacred reading of Scripture and worship like this, they're intended to keep us alert and to keep us aware. 
I'm convinced that the three times every day that we pray here in this chapel are not about those 15 minutes that we sit down together as much as they are about the rest of our days. The bell rings and we're to stop what we're doing and come to this chapel and be reminded to stay awake and to be alert. And so we sing a song. We hear a scripture reading. Again, prompting us to keep our lamps trimmed and to stay ready. We have to be present. John Calvin, in a commentary on this text, warns against getting too caught up in the details of the story. He writes that some become preoccupied with tending to the lamps, the vessels, and the oil, but the plain and natural meaning of the whole is that it is not enough to have ardent zeal for a short time if we have not also a constancy that never tires, to quote him. In other words, we must be persistent. Discipleship requires patience and endurance and a willingness to stay with it, to keep those lamps trimmed, making sure there is oil enough to make it through the long night. In words that Eugene Peterson co-opted, discipleship must be about a long obedience in the same direction, a steady commitment to follow Jesus day by day. And that means involving ourselves now in caring, loving, forgiving, and serving, working on behalf of the kingdom Jesus came to make real. And we know how challenging that can be. We know that well right here in Richmond, a community desperately in need of repair and of Christ's reconciling love. We need to keep encouraging one another to stay the course and to be persistent. Almost three years ago to the day, I got a phone call, a surprise phone call from a high school classmate, Mark Eason. There's a long back history to this, but I'll save it to say only this, that, that Mark is black and I'm, I'm white. And I hadn't heard from Mark in years. Mark and I were rivals on our high school football team. We were going out for the same position. And to be honest with you, we weren't necessarily very friendly to each other as I remember it. Those were tough times. We were trying to make the team and we were trying to make the starting position. But over the years, Mark stayed in touch with me. And I was surprised to get a call from him three years ago, just about the time that everything blew up in Ferguson, Missouri. You see, Mark and I grew up in Webster Groves, which is just a few miles from Ferguson. And shortly after high school, Mark went to work in our school district. And he was soon ordained and became a pastor in his church. And I've heard these stories over the years of how Mark mentored all these young people. And he had become a hero, really, in that community. I missed his phone call, but I saved his message. He said, Joel Blunk, how you doing, buddy? Bless you, brother, and happy birthday. I pray for you, and I think about you from time to time, and I pray the Lord is alive and well in your life and using you to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
As I said, Mark and I grew up outside of St. Louis, not far from Ferguson. When I heard Mark's voice on the phone, it, it took me home. But it also pointed out to me how distant I was then from the hard realities of life, the real struggles of human existence and the pain of others, so apparent in the continued reporting coming out of North St. Louis that very week. And yet here was Mark calling me back. Here was Mark encouraging me to remain persistent in my faith. And here I am three years later with you all here in Richmond, Virginia. I could have never imagined that. Doing reconciling work and seeking the healing of this place so that places like Ferguson can be healed as well. Jesus asks us to stay awake and to do what God has called us to do. Fortunately, God is patient with us, even while asking us to be patient, to be persistent, to stay the course. But to wait patiently, like the wise bridesmaids in the story, is not to stand idly by, twiddling our thumbs, but to stay engaged in the world as followers of Christ. Discipleship requires action and participation. It means involving ourselves in the reconciling and transformative work of God in the world right now. And that requires an alertness, a readiness, a standing at attention that enables us to respond accordingly. It is likened to trimming lamps and collecting oil in our text for today. And it involves prayerfulness and attuning ourselves to God's ways. And it requires that we act like Jesus, healing the sick, helping the homeless, loving neighbor as self, praying for our enemies. Those things take discipline and require patience, especially through times when we can't be sure that our efforts are making any difference at all. There's an ancient story of a young novice who asked his teacher, what can I do to make the kingdom come? Or in other words, what can I do to help the bridegroom show up? And of course, the teacher smiled and laughed and said, about as much as you can do to make the sun rise in the morning. To which the novice replied, then then what of all these spiritual practices that are required of me? My praying and serving and loving, loving neighbor as self. Why am I doing these things? What difference do they make? All the difference in the world, the teacher said. They ensure that you will be awake when the sun begins to rise. They ensure that you'll be awake when the sun begins to rise. To wait with lamps trimmed is to align our lives with the life of God, attuning our wills to the will of the One who has given us life. It's to put ourselves completely in God's hands, surrendering, letting go, entrusting ourselves to the love of God. Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, a French philosopher and Jesuit priest from the last century, was an accomplished scientist as well as theologian. And he saw a creative movement 
which he called a convergence towards an omega point, which he likened to the fulfillment of Christ or the second coming, the consummation, he would say, of God's design for the whole universe. And he saw us human beings as prime players in that unfolding, believing that God is counting on us to help bring it about by way of our faithfulness and devotion. Offering words of encouragement, he asked that we trust in the slow work of God. Trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally, he writes, impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. But we must bear in mind that it is the law of all progress that it be made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. So let us trust that God's hand is leading us and let us stay the course and persevere. Likewise, bridesmaids, we wait, not idly, but by continuing to love and serve in the name of Christ. Be prepared. Be present. Be persistent. Amen.